This is the EdSurge podcast for the week of February 16th to February 20th. We bring you the EdTech leading news and opinion you love from EdSurge, but on the go. Each week on the show, we bring you the top stories from EdSurge News, all geared towards educators, entrepreneurs, and investors, all right on your favorite device. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast. I'm Michael Winters, manager of the EdSurge Index and of our Tech for Schools summits. And I'm Charlie Locke, reporter for EdSurge and first-time EdSurge podcast host. Welcome, Charlie. (laughs) It was so much fun having you on the show last week that we just had to have you back hosting this week. And it helps that Mary Jo's out of town. There's a lot less red lipstick in this studio than there usually is during our recording (laughs) sessions. That is so true. You you guys uh, out there in Radio Land have no idea uh, how (laughs) red Mary Jo's lipstick is. (laughs) Well, we'd like to start this week with another big thank you to everyone who has been sending us feedback on the podcast over the past few weeks. Really, thank you. We are reading every word, and the main question we're getting is, when will all of this be available through iTunes or Android Podcasts or Stitcher? Please know that we're working on it, and our hope is to be able to bring it to you this way in the next couple weeks, so stay tuned. In the meantime, please keep sending us feedback and keep visiting edsurge.com, where we will continue to post the show every week. All right, Charlie, shall we start things off? Let's go. Attention teachers, we know that you're working every bit as hard as your students to learn more every day, and that you're trying out a host of different ways to personalize your own learning. We also know that many schools and districts are providing set one-size-fits-all professional development, but things are starting to change. Over the past year, EdSurge has explored the work going on in districts, the tools they're using, and what it's going to take to get personalized PD, or professional development, started. We've collected what we learned into a brand new professional development guide. The guide highlights PD field reports from around the country, new tools and old tools being used in new ways, and gives advice on how to get started with a new PD system. If you want to learn more about learning more, Check out edsurge.com slash guides for all of the info. There are a couple stories in the PD guide written by educators this week that I found really interesting. As one answer to the one-size-fits-all PD problem, Denver Public Schools is creating personal professional learning profiles for each of their teachers. Ben Wilkoff, who directs the district's personalized professional learning initiative, wrote about it for EdSurge. As he explains it, there are four different areas to keep in mind for each learner or educator. Their strengths, needs, interests, and constraints. So strengths and needs make sense to me. That's what professional development is all about. But why identify an educator's interests and constraints? Milkoff makes a great point that by engaging in teachers' interests, like a specific content area or their hobbies, PD can be much more personal. And by taking constraints into account, like their lesson planning hour or what time of day they learn best, it can be much more effective. Makes sense. Back on the business side, this week was another big one for EdTech accelerators. First, we reported on the Jefferson Education Accelerator. This organization is a little bit different from other accelerators out there. It takes companies with established products and helps them to validate the efficacy of that product. JEA will match companies with the proper partner schools, and all projects will be overseen by university researchers. Results will be validated by an academic review board at the Curry School of Education at my alma mater, the University of Virginia, and all studies will be made public. And second, His Holiness Pope Francis has also launched his own accelerator, Scholas Labs. 
It's a four-month program for 10 companies designed to accelerate projects and support entrepreneurs committed to innovation in the field of education and technology. The move is being backed by some big-name funders, including Google and Microsoft. Wow, more accelerators. Mary Jo mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I agree with her. There's too many of these already. Well, I still don't agree with either of you on that point of view. <laughs> um, you know, details are a little bit scarce on Scholas Labs so far, so it's tough to say exactly how it's going to be different from, from other accelerators, other than the fact, of course, that it's backed by the Pope. <laughs> but uh, the Jefferson EdTech Accelerator, that, now that is different from, from others that are out there. Uh, rather than focus on developing a brand new product or discovering a minimal viable product, they're taking big products that are already being used and making sure they're effective. They even have a, a cutoff that you can't be a part of the program unless you have more than a million dollars in annual revenue. So it seems like checking for efficacy is something that we can all get behind. Educators, administrators, companies, everybody. Well, okay, Michael. I think you might have a little bit of a bias towards them because they come from UVA. Yeah, that, that, that helps. Wahoo! Congratulations to all of the EdTech companies that raised money this week. We'll highlight just a couple. First, San Francisco-based No Red Inc. raised a $6 million Series A round. The company provides online grammar exercises to students with feedback available to teachers. Second, Grovo has raised a $15 million Series B round, led by previous investor Excel Partners. Grovo hosts over 5,000 instructional videos covering 150 professional skills, each lasting 60 to 90 seconds. And finally, Renaissance Learning has acquired UClass for an undisclosed sum. UClass describes itself as the Dropbox for education. Renaissance Learning tells EdSurge that the acquisition will help connect the new parent company's current offerings. And finally, we'll end the show with a discussion around an EdTech controversy that has played out this week. As you know, February is Black History Month. Lots of educators are looking for EdTech resources to bring that into their classrooms. One of those tools is Mission US, Flight to Freedom, an online game where users role-play as Lucy, a 14-year-old slave in 1848. Here's a clip from the game's trailer. The year is 1848. You are Lucy King, a 14-year-old enslaved on a Kentucky plantation. You want to escape, but how will you do it? As you can hear, the game's goal is to make history more accessible for students by putting users in the role and mindset of Lucy. But some educators have taken issue with the idea of asking students to take on the role of a slave. Rafrans Davis, instructional technology specialist, wrote an opinion piece on EdSurge asking, is a slave simulation game appropriate for classrooms? As Davis sees it, if you want to create a role-playing game about history, fine, but choose moments in history that are not about the rape, beating, degradation, mutilation, and murder of a people. But if you want students to learn about shameful moments of U.S. history, there's no shying away from slavery. Maybe games like Mission U.S. are a way to convey the gravity of slavery's tragedy. One of the producers behind Mission U.S., Kelly Spector, wrote a rebuttal to Davis's opinion piece on EdSurge. Spectre argues that the game portrays ugly truths of slavery that students should learn. She believes that by inviting users to roleplay as Lucy, the game gives agency and personal power to slaves. To help us make sense of the arguments, we've brought in our managing editor, Tony Wan. Tony has a graduate degree in East Asian Studies from Stanford and himself wrote an op-ed on the controversy. Welcome, Tony. Hopefully you can shed some light on this for us. Thanks, Michael, for having me on the podcast. Teaching about these issues is pretty tricky, 
On the one hand, I think it's important for students to learn about painful episodes like slavery, but asking them to relive them can come across as pretty naive and tone deaf. So, as a former student of history yourself, how do you think educators should teach students about these times in history? I think it's important to develop any history curriculum thoughtfully. I think too often history emphasizes names and dates, and that's when most students get turned off. Now, a good teacher will bring in voices and other primary sources to add some color and life to better engage students. But overall, I think history by itself is pretty controversial, and it's difficult enough to present all the different perspectives in a textbook or even in a museum. I think it can be impractical to tackle sensitive issues in a simulation game, where all the choices and consequences are already predetermined. Or in tweets where you're limited to 140 characters. So, do you think that the games offered by Mission US should be removed? No, I don't think it should be removed. I know some people will be offended by it, but I believe that the developers do have earnest intentions in raising awareness about shameful issues. You know, Mission US really reminds me of the Dear America books, which I really loved reading as a kid. Those books present these first-person fictionalized diaries portraying what it was like to grow up as a young American girl at Pearl Harbor or on a plantation or in New York tenements, and I don't remember there being the same controversy around those books. How do you see Mission U.S. as different from historical fiction for young students? I think the timing definitely has something to do with it. The Mission U.S. game was marketed as something to celebrate Black History Month. I also think that the issues of slavery speaks to race and power relations that are still very relevant today. That makes sense. Well, one way or the other, I'm grateful to Mission U.S. for leading us to to have these conversations. I think hopefully we we can all agree that talking about our relationships with history and our responsibilities to remember and honor it is important, both in in Black History Month or in any other month. I agree with that. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Tony. No problem, guys. Okay, well that's all we've got time for today. Thanks to Rafrans Davis, Kelly Spector, Ben Wilkoff, and all the other writers who contributed to EdSearch this week. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening and for reading EdSearch. And by the way, we spoke a little bit about EdTech accelerators earlier. If you're interested in the companies coming out of Imagine K-12's accelerator this year, we have the report for you. We've just released a full report on all 17 companies in IK-12's 2015 cohort, including usage numbers, descriptions of the founding team and business model, and our bet on each one of those companies. If you want to learn more about any of the IK-12 companies, head over to edsurge.com/reports. Okay, that's it for today. I'm Charlie Locke, and I'm Michael Winters. We'll see you next week. This is the EdSurge podcast.